0: This is Charles. This is Zach. And welcome to Twisted Wisdom. Aaron Montgomery and his partners disrupted the century-old used car sales business when they created CarLots, the nation's largest consignment to retail used car marketplace right here in Richmond. But Aaron also disrupted the course of his life as well. Born in Detroit, the only child of a single mother, he worked his way to Harvard Business School and as a consultant for McKinsey & Company, he has achieved success in all aspects of his life and is far from finished. So enjoy the story of Carlos and the end of the used car sales business as we know it and be inspired by Aaron Montgomery, The Disruptor, Part Two. Okay everybody, welcome back to Twisted Wisdom. We're in the, uh, let's call it the second half of our talk with Aaron Montgomery and this is about Car buying, car selling—the story of car lots. I actually, saw a lot of the story of Aaron Montgomery, which is fascinating, <laughs> and we've just scratched the surface there. Of course, we took the headphones off and got off the microphone. We start talking about who's working out and everything. Zach, you're not currently working out. No, I'm trying to find my next gig. I think I'm stuck getting a Peloton. That's my next thing. Like everybody else seems to have gotten. People love that thing, man. Do it, man. I mean, it's, there's no re- no one tells you not to do that. I mean, it's, they don't lose value. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you don't want to pay the monthly to stop for a bit. but Here, like Here's the business guy telling me the business case propellants. <laughs> <I mean, laughs> I've got all this. Oh, you could pick your own trainer and the music is this and that well, guy's sexy. How about sexy that idea?
1: All that. Thing. I know. I mean, how about that idea? Like, what are they? $40 billion. Here, here's dollars a bike. Just give content. Yep.
2: You see what they're doing now with the games,
1: yeah.
0: So
2: now they've got, yeah. I just like heard about that, and like it's turning into like ways, and they can pick yeah. up candies and stuff like that. It's crazy. It may yeah. be the
0: only thing I can get Jake to do, yeah. Because right now I can't get him out of the bed with the laptop computer right now. So if <laughs> I put the game on the Peloton, yeah, Maybe? I'm assuming it's something. Like, in, my, in my dreams, I think it's something like yeah, that. Yeah,
1: yeah. But I mean, you guys met, you know, the, you guys met through CrossFit, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we started working out in the mornings and. um, <laughs> became friends. I mean, we had like this little crew, like they would do some competitions. We were there five days a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we enjoyed it. We enjoyed each other's company. We'd do the beer nights and, you know, and we just became friends and, yeah. like, we'd go to each other's houses. Aaron held my firstborn, Hazel, yeah, uh, yeah. like, she was two months old. It's yeah, crazy, man. Yeah. And then, but, you know, you Facebook
2: know, just reminded me, show me a picture from seven years ago. Yeah. We're, we're doing a competition or something like that. And a group of us standing out there and it's like, you know, life comes at you fast. Man. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it really does. Yeah. And it keeps coming. Uh, no. You know, I've always heard, I've not done CrossFit, but one thing that I've heard about CrossFit is that it's, uh, there's an interesting sort of community with CrossFit. And so it doesn't surprise me to hear you guys say that, and you still have this natural connection even yeah. now, but more than just going to a gym or just attending a spinning class yeah. or whatever, there seems to be this sort of... Everybody's helping suffered, each other suffering together. Suffering, <laughs> suffering as a community. <laughs> That's pretty much what it is. That is what it is. Yeah. yeah. But the, the other thing I noticed is that when Zach asked you if you're still in CrossFit, you said the first person you make contact with is the one who do, does your adjustments. I said, okay. <laughs> yeah. This is the CrossFit thing that I worry about. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, you know, when
2: when you're all in on the Kool-Aid and everything, and it's not a diss to Cross. I mean, I love, I think CrossFit's a amazing No, we're not
0: sport. dissing. I, I, like, but, it's but, not, but it's a great topic it, to talk it, about. It, it,
2: it's real, though, because it's like, you know, when, when you're all in, you just treat all this wear and tear as part of what comes with it. Right. And yeah. yeah, I started it in 2012, so I was 30 or just over.
0: Yeah.
2: And... You know, I mean, the next ten years were pretty important in my life. Right? You know, yeah. It's like the, the wear and tear kind of hits you a little bit more, and right. yeah, now I end up, you know, a single session beats me up a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's and some
1: serious recovery time it's required. Serious. Yeah. yeah. It's a forty. It used to be like, okay, we can get back the next morning. Now it's like, all right, I need two days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Back when we were doing it, man, I was I was hardcore. Yeah.
2: Paleo and you so was you know, he. So was Zach. Exactly. It's like so. And now, then he comes
0: know. in and he can't bend over.
2: His yeah. back is hurting. <laughs> How many right. classes have we gone through? Like, you yeah, this, yeah. this, this wasn't the, th- you know, yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no. this ain't paleo. So, you know, it was it was a lot of that. And it was a good thing to put my focus in. I think that I needed that discipline for what I was trying to do. Yeah, mm, you know, right. I, I don't know if how you feel how I would translate it translated to work, but I felt like it got your day started right.
1: Yeah, you know, I need to get back to something because yeah. I think you're right. I think getting up in the morning, being held accountable for something just starts your day off right. I mean, yeah. like, you know, we've probably all heard about Jacko. You know, he always says like, you're not up at 4 30 a little much but yeah. but he's, his point is like i'm already there right yeah. i've done everything i need to do today everything else is just a bonus totally that's a good mindset no, to, to kind of have and that's you, what
2: you if you're a puddle of sweat by 6 a.m like yeah. you feel pretty proud you know like yeah. i think that is that's spot i think Jocko would agree with that like that's yeah. like spot on like you've done a, a, yeah. a thing that sets your day off right yeah. and yeah.
1: that's like the so. rest of your days for your your job your yeah. your ideas your thing like that you don't have that lingering and I, need, I still need to work out kind of thing. When right. your stress level you is, is
0: controlled and the endorphins are released and your focus is there and your energy is there. Or if you're just
1: like me and say, uh, you don't need to work out. <laughs> <laughs> <Would> you, <laughs> no, you, I know I you need you to. When you were a machine when you were doing I know, it. I know, you, I know. It was,
0: it was there and, and you would miss a session. Uh, we're going to have a, uh, actually we're working on the uh, interviews for it now, but we're going to have probably a two or three part session on the evolution of exercise. Oh, wow. The trends. So, so those of us who are, you know, I, I'm 55 the trends, there's always something that comes along and it hits and it's the thing to do. And then what was this tremendous idea a few years later is like it's in the rearview mirror. Yep. And not for a bad reason, necessarily. Uh, everything seems to sit on the shoulders of what came before it. But CrossFit is probably now a stair step. It's a milestone. It's, I don't think it's on its, uh, no, again, no disrespect to those no. who own the gyms and those who do it. They're obviously powerful as they can be. But uh, people are moving on, looking yeah. for the next uh, I think thing. The, I
2: think you're right. The moment's passed. But what, what's interesting to me is what, the being on the shoulders part, the, how those older things inform the new things, right? I remember, you remember when jogging was new or aerobics was new, and you know and that, and that evolved into body pump. So it's yeah. almost like how disco became house, right? Like yeah, the right. stuff where it's like you <laughs> yeah. can kind of see the right. trends and how they evolve. Right. So I'll be eager to see. I, the one thing I will say, while CrossFit won't be what it was 10 years ago or f- even five years ago, the mainstream adoption of Olympic weightlifting and yeah, high right, intensity like and hit yeah. training, like like that's not going away. Oh no, like, no. that's no. going to come into something else.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's I, very functional stuff. What I've heard of this sort of helping each other up aspect of CrossFit, I hope that doesn't go away with whatever evolves next in terms of exercise. Yes, I agree. So oh, we've gotten off track, but this, now you guys know how these talks go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you got the plug for an upcoming episode of Twisted Wisdom, where we are going to talk about fitness trends and yeah. and nutrition and maybe even some sports cardiology stuff, if I can get this one guy to interview who, if you're out there, Dr. Thompson, I want that interview, man. You are the man. (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking for you. I'm looking for you. But Aaron, let's get back. We're going to make a bit of a transition here soon, but tell me about where CarLots is now, you know, when when it went IPO and where it is now. And let's talk about the future of car buying because cars are evolving. I don't have a Tesla, but my next vehicle might be electric. Right. showrooms will be different. How you buy the car will be different. Maintenance and service will be different. So where is CarLots now? It, you had an IPO how many months, is it months ago or years? Uh, so the IPO was in January. So
2: uh, okay. January 20th, so, uh, six months ago. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I rolled off then. So I was on the board through right. the through the IPO, yeah. you know, where the company's the next greenfield opportunity was. Mm-hmm. Cut and paste this all around the country. Right. right. So now you got a huge capital infusion. Yep. Just go and do as much of this as you can. And, you know, just today, a company announced there'll be a new hub in Las Vegas. Yeah. You know, they've opened in Bakersfield, Nashville, Merritt Island. I believe There's one in St. Pete. You know, so just open it up everywhere, yeah, right. right? Which I think is what you have to do. But I think you have to also build out this omni-channel piece of it. So you got, you know, have more of a physical presence. You also have to build out, you know, strong apps and you have to build out a strong web presence to kind of complement. But I think that's, that's always been the strategy of companies. How do those two meet? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you've got this compelling web advantage. You've got this compelling physical advantage with a team that's not commissioned and friendly and everything else, I think that's that's the secret sauce. You know, from from where I sit, companies well on target to do that in a huge scale way. But I think also to the second part of your question and thinking about how, how the business is evolving, some of the things that were crazy disruptive five or 10 years ago are becoming table stakes because everybody's now deciding that that's where they have to be. Mm-hmm. And they're making huge bets or huge investments to just catch up quickly. For example, she said your next car might be electric. Certain brands, it'll definitely be because they've already said we're not, yeah. we ain't building nothing else. Right, right. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. It's like, you know, once those calls are made, yeah. you know, if you're the one the ones who haven't made that bet, it's just a matter of time until you do. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that kind of stuff is like, that's real. That's not just, you yeah. know, I remember talking to a guy at Tesla in 2008, you know, when it was a pipe dream, we we're just looking at the Roadster. Like, uh-huh. That's all they yeah. had. Right. Yeah. The idea that they'd have as many as they have on the road with the path to uh, millions crazy. more was insane. And then, yeah. and then that every other manufacturer
0: would be on the same page. You would never have bet on that. No. Yeah. I mean, they drove the market. Not, not, no, not, not in this time. Not in yeah. the United States where we love our the roar of our engines and, yeah. and all of this stuff. It's fascinating. You know, I will say that the one lingering thing that I think CarLotz offers, I didn't sell a vehicle, but I, I talked to one of the guys once. Uh, Francois or Justin put me in, in contact with, so I was going to sell a Suburban. And I think a lot of people feel this way. I like the anonymity that goes with it. I I want to sell my vehicle. I'm okay getting what I deserve to get. I'm not trying to, you know, rake someone over the coals, but I don't want the face-to-face negotiation right. uncomfortable with the buyer. And that's one thing Carlotte's offered is I didn't have to have that. Yeah. And I think that gets old for a lot of people. And a lot of us are just, it's not that we're non-confrontational, it's just that. We just don't, we don't want that. We want it to be easy. We don't want to have to feel like we're uh, negotiating something. So I think that's going to continue to be an advantage. And for those of you out there who, I, I don't even like creating the ad. I don't like to put my cell phone number out there for people to call about wanting to buy the thing. And you'll get crank calls. If you've ever sold anything on, what is it, Let go and these other apps that are out there, you get some bullshit phone calls back <laughs> yeah. and some nasty stuff yeah. and and just some late night stuff coming at you. I just can't stand that. Yeah, And so they do give you that distance from the selling standpoint and that's not going away. CarMax offers what they offer. But if, you know, if you just want to go put your car up on a lot and just put it in the hands of people who know how to make it look good and sell it the right way and, and is peaceful, Carla still does that. So that's another part of what they do that I think will always have appeal it, just in case people don't know what that message is. Yeah. That's really what you can do from the seller side of it. I think that's right. And I, I think that's something that'll probably scale
2: to other spaces too. I mean, it, you know, it's, yeah. it's largely informed. I mean, this that's been the case in real estate for a long, long time, right? Like yeah. you don't go and... Because imagine what that process would be like if you didn't have the brokers as a go-between for all the faults. In the, for
0: all the people that want to keep that one and a half percent or whatever. For all the faults in that, in that <laughs>
2: process. <laughs> yeah. Imagine if it's like, you know, hey, I'm going to offer the X below asking. It's like, well, why? Well, because I saw this. That's not a problem. Like, it would be a terrible yeah. experience. <laughs> like no one would yeah. ever transact if that were the majority of cases. Yeah. yeah. And that's how it was with cars. I mean, it's, you know, it's a lot of managing expectations, like aligning to two different viewpoints. I mean. You always want to, if you're buying, you always want to pay the, the least as you can. If you're selling, you want to get the most you can. So there's, you're not aligned already. Yeah. And uh, if it's yours, you know, you never see any fault with it. If you'd never had it, you see tons of fault with it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you know, so having a go between that only wants to see both sides win is important. And and so we spent a lot of time refining that. But I think that that's a general truth mm-hmm. that we were able to latch onto with our model, that our model enabled us to latch onto that, that we found to be pretty helpful to,
0: right. to serve in the mission. Yeah. Aaron, I know know you have, you know, your own other interests and development and things in process, but tell me what you think about the future of the car sales industry, car buying entry and car sales. Now, we talked about electric vehicles. We already know that online transactions and exchange of information is a reality already. But 10 years from now, 20 years from now, these car dealerships are not going to look the well, same. I mean, that, they're, that they're margin, down their the margins are all so thin anyways. Right. But it, you know what? They make their money now. Like one guy taught me this was, if I'm not wrong about this, that the, a new car sale is not a lot of the profit that a dealership sees yeah. these days. Is that right.
2: true? That's right. You know, you've got to make a whole deal with the sale of the car that enables you to get financing other things like that. Financing that is, a, is a big part of it. Yeah. But you know this evolution. I think the knowledge of it is probably relatively new. But in 1960, there were like 40,000 new car dealers. Mm-hmm. That number today would be somewhere on the order of like 17,000, 16,000. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty big shrink. Back in the 60s, it was okay to have one on every corner. Car salesman could make a lot of money. The coolest guy you knew was the guy who sold cars. He always had a new car. He had a, yeah. you know, a nice suit, and he made a ton tag. of cash, right? Like yeah. you know, <laughs> like it was it was it was a totally different world. You know, as you start to scale those operations, as the OEMs, as the manufacturers start to crank out more cars, they need to make profit. Like that, that model doesn't make as much sense as having a few concentrated dealers that have more scale. And mm-hmm. you fast forward to today, and you're seeing the same thing. You know, back then, you could buy a dealership, you know, a regular person, if you were going to be an entrepreneur, you might decide pizza shop, restaurant, car dealership, they were all more or less fungible. It's the same right. thing. Right. By today's standards, you know, you right. want to buy a Toyota dealership if you don't have $10 million right. to start. <laughs> Yeah, you're out, right? So yeah. th- that's a whole other game. Now it's like buying a sports team. Yeah, right? you play that forward, even right now, there are dealers that are quote unquote mega dealers. These are the folks that have 20, 30 dealerships, and mm-hmm. they're saying this might be time to sell because when they start playing forward 10, 20 years, there's like if it's 16, 17,000 a day, how many will be the there? Be then, and right, and at some point. If it's only AutoNation, it. Penske, Carvana, CarMax, mm-hmm. Carlots, right? Yeah. Then it's like, what am I going to do with my four dealerships? Even if it's yeah. been good to me, put my kids through college, bought me a big house and a boat, like right. this ain't it.
1: Right. Well, what about like direct-to-consumer? Tesla
2: doesn't even have any dealers, right? <laughs> right. Know? Like, I mean, like zero dealers. They're yeah. But I mean,
1: you know? direct-to-consumer is a lot easier to accomplish now. Yeah. With online stuff. Yep. In 20 years, you could see that. Like, And the, the biggest barrier there was the franchise law. And if Tesla has been able to skirt it for 12 years— yeah.
2: You know, where does that go? Like, that, the lot, lot of reason a lot of dealers exist is because of the franchise law. So, if you know, manufacturers
0: can skirt that, what happens yeah. next? Tell me about the franchise law. I don't know if I knew about exact, this exactly, yeah, but tell you know, me about that.
2: Basically, there are laws in place that require manufacturers to have intermediaries to sell their inventory.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And when Tesla started building out their stores, they had this direct consumer modeler or said, you can come to a Tesla store that's run by us and you can buy a car.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And the dealer said... No, you can't. <laughs> you yeah. gotta have an intermediary. Like, mm-hmm.
1: remember they had a big yeah. they had a big to-do in Virginia because uh, Virginia yeah. was late to take on uh, well a good family friend is Don Hall, who oh, right. was the uh, yeah, was the V A D A head. Yeah, and he was not happy with yeah. it. But anyways, like mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think ten years from now, like that law could change easily. Totally. And next thing you know, you're like, okay, well, I'll just call forward. It's what I want. Ship it right to you. You know, you think about Amazon and the sales
2: tax laws and same thing, right? Where it's like, got, got you out to a pretty quick advantage. And then it was a gray area for a very, very long time where it's like, well, well shouldn't they be doing this? Well, hold on. That's not fair. And mm-hmm. it's state by state. It's county by county. But then 10 years of confusion is enough for Amazon to run it up the score. Right, you know? right, yeah. right. Yeah. So Tesla's running up the score now. It's like, you guys, I don't know, franchise, maybe not, around? maybe so, but like, yeah. I'm going to keep selling. And you, right. tell, you tell me when I stop. Right. So if that happens, and then the next new manufacturer comes in, by the way, Tesla scaled from nothing. 12, 15 years ago to an OEM that's worth more than Ford and yeah. GM combined today. Right. Then who's to stop the next one or the next yeah. one, the next one. So I think that that's an important consideration. Like it could just change the entire dynamic of how cars are sold. Yeah. I think on the service question, it's a question of whether. I think that's this, huge. Will this thing get
1: disrupted? How can it not? Well, go? so there's interesting. I mean, not to get into. No, big, 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 big today. You can go deep. <laughs> well, well, this week, this week, there's an executive order that came down from Biden and about right to repair. And so one of the big things in electronics and cars don't have a big issue with this, but a lot of companies are saying, listen, we make this product. We're going to sell the parts to whoever we want. The consumer is not going to be able to fix their things unless they go through X, Y, and Z. Right. John Deere does the same thing. You can't fix tractors anymore. iPhones, Samsung, you have to go through authorized dealers, which are just basically extensions of Apple or Samsung. So you, the consumer is getting a little bit hosed because yeah. they go to them and they say, well, you need to replace your whole motherboard, not right. just this $10 part. Right. So there's a huge push to get right to repair legislated where if you buy a product, you have the right to repair it without any hoops, however you or want have, to. Or having to go to an authorized. Correct. Repair, yeah. Like if you buy a car, yeah. buy a TV, buy a John Deere. Right. I should be able to fix it, yeah. right? Like, that's the American way, right? That's like right. If you're you technically know, able. If you're technically able, yeah. people will say, well, there's proprietary, there's, you know, we can't make sure the product's perfect at that point, but it's like, you bought it, who cares, right? right. Like You know, yeah. and so I think manufacturers are going to have an issue with this at some point because you're going to have this point where it's like, okay, well, you have these cars, we have these people who can fix them, but margins are getting so small that we need to create service. We want to be the only ones in the service industry. Zach showed me, and this
0: maybe leaps a couple of steps ahead, but Zach showed me a video of a very intelligent guy who does these reviews. We're talking about the electric F one hundred and fifty.
1: Yeah, that's my next car, by the way. And speaking I mean, of like disruption, right? Like, oh who, who who would my have been? goodness, oh my like God. this is—I
2: mean, this is literally this is the poster child of of American truck driving and switched to electric. Well, I think Tesla missed it. I agree. On the like, pickup they, they truck, went, they went too
0: ugly. They went too. What's the cars like from uh, Back to the Future? Was it a yeah, It's the, t- the, the Delorean thing. DeLorean. Yeah. Yeah. The they, Delorean. They made the Delorean Pickup trucks, and that's not the American mentality or feel of yeah. a pickup truck. up with that when they, that one, the, they blew it. That's right. <laughs> it went up, yeah. uh, off the rim. Yep. Uh, Zach showed me that video. I was impressed. I was actually proud. I think that here's an American icon of manufacturing that took on the task of making the iconic pickup truck so respectable that now you can show up against your buddies with the gas trucks and say, man, listen, I can beat you off the line. Mm -hmm. I can out-tow you. I'm not burning gas. I can store my stuff in the front. You got to store your stuff under a tonneau cover in the back. Right. If I don't have a generator, I can run my house. And it looks good. Absolutely. I mean, I was. I was car. I was sort of yeah. impressed and proud, and it's <laughs> hard to argue. Right. <laughs> it's hard to argue the point. Now I don't even know what GM. I mean, I know GM's going to have an answer for that too. But sort of. It almost felt like the answer to when we had our cars in the '80s and Toyota and Nissan and the, and, and the Korean manufacturers were making these higher quality products, yeah. and we had to catch up. I think the U.S. is about to catch up. Not that Tesla is a, a foreign mm-hmm. brand, but just catch up to the technology, guys are going to be, and women, every we're going to be proud to own these vehicles. It's going to be my yeah. hard argument. GM's in a
2: no-lose position in my opinion, by okay. the way, because... If Ford was too progressive, it's like, come on, get your Silverado. We still got gas. Yeah, yeah. And if Ford was, was made the right move, it's like, all right, new Silverado with electric, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. like the second mouse gets the cheese, or you know, it just yeah, doesn't matter. So yeah. uh, applaud Ford's bold move. I think that's the right move to make given the trend. Yeah, right. but I don't think you know, like, given the Ford GM dynamic, yeah, I don't think you know, some people are Coke people, some people
0: are Pepsi people. Right. It's just how yeah. it is. Right.
2: You don't lose. So, so I think that we'll see them all evolve there eventually. Yeah. Uh, it's just a matter of who's who's taking the swings first. Yeah, but I think on the repair side, I think the right to repair is a big, big part of it. But the other side is the capability to repair.
1: Well, that's true,
2: right? So yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. You know, it's my body, doc. If I want to do my own stent, I'll do it. But can you? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know?
1: yeah, And, that's, and that, you know, that's, that's scalable. I guess <laughs> <laughs> you know the point. Of, I'm speaking from the dealer standpoint, right? Right, but that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. you know, it's not everybody can fix cars. No, I'm
2: saying, but even at the dealership, like, well, the skills evolve. But we saw this. There's a skills transfer, right? So you've got when you go from carburetor to fuel injector. Right. There was a skills transfer yeah. and people made the ah, leap okay. and there's some people that, you know, your, your great uncle who was just a tinkerer is suddenly yeah. like, man, these things, they got all computers. I don't know what to do.
0: You know, he's got, <laughs> yeah. now he's got
2: to do his OBD2, oh, right? Yeah. And he doesn't know yeah. what he's doing.
0: <laughs> Zach knows, I you know? suffer. I got a yeah. F-250 was like one of the first ones with fuel injection and I suffer because yeah. I knew- <laughs> Right. It's not a carburetor. Like, right. that's, not, that's <laughs> what not what I was taught to I don't know shop, what this you thing know? is doing. I <laughs> <You know? laughs> don't
2: know what this thing is doing. So now you got this, you know, 1,000-pound battery in the trunk. Are people yeah, going to be able to migrate those skills over in the same way? Yeah, you're
0: right. I mm-hmm. think the fascinating thing about service, I think this is a huge part of it because in my lifetime, let's just say the last two decades, I've seen dealerships go from the point of having about four or five garage bays to having 15 and 20 and 25 garage bays. And making a huge chunk of their revenue off service, you know, you never know what you're going to get charged when you go, especially to a to, <laughs> to a dealer for the. I predict they're going to be closing these garage bays. If there's no engine, if there's no exhaust, if there's no radiator, if there are no belts, I wonder if it's the opposite, Doc. Really, my cousin, <coughs> my cousin had a shopping
2: cart hit his Tesla. Uh huh. It's like an eight thousand dollar repair because they had to repair lidar panels and all kinds of stuff. He's <laughs> in the shop for a month. A month. Car yeah. oh, a shopping cart. Like I
1: mean, there's a <laughs> like tough, a shopping cart. Some, some tough ass shopping centers <laughs> out there, man. Well, <laughs> like, I mean, so the valid point is like, so I might think it might go away from the dealer, right, to authorized or specialty fixers. You take your car to like the fruit fix shop, basically. Yeah, yeah, right? like, yeah. yeah. I mean, seriously, yeah. because you're right. Like yeah. you, you know, you get in an accident, <laughs> Tesla's doing a good job of trying to get cars out, but they're not making a lot of parts. Right. They're behind on their parts. Like, the good thing that Ford and GM have is they can mass-produce cars. They can can still do... They they can do what they do. Right. (laughs) Tesla's still trying to get... I mean... How long has Ford been a company? Right. right like, right, you know, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, 120 year disadvantage. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> right, right. It's going to be interesting to yeah. see moving forward into the electric space where this all goes. I yeah. Mean. When, when you add complexity, I mean, you know, talk to
2: your favorite shop technician. It's mm-hmm. like, oh man, we get these Mercedes and they just got so much stuff. Something's always going wrong. So, it's like, yeah, is it? There are fewer modules and it's it's simpler, mm-hmm. but I mean it becomes it's computer repair now versus yeah. just old school car repair.
0: It's going to you know? be yeah. different service. Yeah, yeah. The service technician is going to be different. They're probably going to have to. You're not going to be a roll out of high school and do. I mean, you're going to need some some real training for it. Yeah, you know, be ready
1: you get, to evolve? Yeah, you get the more computer geek guy now, be fixing cars, maybe yeah. making one hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's year, right. You know, yeah, like, that's right. No. I heard, I saw some article somewhere
0: recently that. GM offered a deal because I guess all Cadillacs are going to be electric. Is this, did you hear? This? I, did this hear that, yeah. I just read it today, I yeah. think. Why the Cadillac brand is all electric, I don't know, but it's part of the master plan, I'm sure, for GM. And they offered deals to the dealership. GM offered the dealerships. You can either invest money to make your dealerships up to speed for these electric Cadillacs, which includes even things like. Buying forklifts so you can carry these batteries around. It was going to be like a two hundred thousand dollar amount for a dealership to be ready to roll. Actually, more than that, a whole lot more than that. And about twenty percent just said, "I'm good. I can't do that." Yep. They're they're just stepping back yep. where they're not going to sell the electric Cadillac. They're not going to be a Cadillac dealer. Just an example of that it's going to come with some major yeah. changes. This is not a gradual. Change. Another no
2: regrets move. My by the way, in my yeah. opinion, when you think about like the current Cadillac driver ain't going to be on the road much longer the person they're selling it to, if Cadillac has a future, yeah. it's can they convince me, you and Zach, that we yeah. need to be in one. Exactly. And if everybody else is going to be electric, luxury has to take on a different look. Yeah. Yeah. So I think these are these are largely just game theory type moves, mm-hmm. but it shows you that everybody realizes that the inevitable end is it all has to be electric by some point in the future. Yeah. Yeah. So whether you take the all-in Volvo bet of like, we're done with combustible by X date, mm-hmm, or you right. do the gamesmanship of GM and Ford of like, I'm going to do this one. I, I use my Icon. I use this mm-hmm. brand. I use that. Right. But they know where it's ending.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah.
0: You might as well not make the argument anymore about where the combustible engine is going to be. It's not going to be that. What happens to diesel? I don't know, but I think diesel's got a limited future except for big trucks and marine engines and things like that. The Part of the conversation that that I don't know, I'm not an expert on, but you know, if T.
2: Boone Pickens are so alive, I'd love to ask him. <laughs> is like, is fuel, right? I mean, you move away from combustible and it's like, great. So, you know, we're not going to tap the petroleum reserves. You charge these things with something, coal, yeah. natural gas, whatever. Like, you know, what's going to happen, right? Yeah. Like, what's going to happen yeah. to pricing? Is it going to cost me more to heat my house or cool my house? Yeah. Like, I just, I don't know about that. And, yeah. and I haven't heard enough about the interplay on that stuff. its I've been largely thinking about this as a automotive industry
0: competitive dynamic. Yeah. I don't know what's going to do to the rest of the world. Oh, it, <laughs> you it, know? it has tentacles. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There are going to be changes yeah. elsewhere. I mean, those those industries are not just going to fall by the wayside. They're going to find a way to, Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would assume they're going to find a way to survive yeah. with that stuff. So it's not going to all go, going to go that way. The dealerships are going to be very, very different in the yeah. future. And I could be, just like you mentioned, Zach, maybe my next vehicle is electric. It's right there. Maybe if it's not one your next one. It'll be the one after that. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. <laughs> <You know, laughs> either a choice. The, next or the one or the one after. And yeah. I'm not going to have a choice. That's right. I'm not going to have a choice. Aaron, let's talk a little bit more about what you're doing now. Yeah. I want to tell you that I read the book, so fair warning. Awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Suspend Your Disbelief yeah. is the name of the book. Let's talk about the book a little bit. It struck me that when I read this book, I think the first thought I had was Aaron has actually been able to pull out wisdom from a lot of his life experiences that is applicable to anybody at any time, at any stage of their lives. But it came from what you saw when you were much, much younger. Mm. The second thought I had is that this should be required reading for high school students. Definitely. Copy, stop, print this. This is,
2: this is definitely, I think that's exactly where the mindset came from, right? It was like, so as I was writing this thing, one, I just, I was compelled from a part of my, my soul that just, I had never really tapped before. Like, you know, here we are going through the pandemic and I'm just looking around and I'm like, man, people are getting crushed right now. Yeah. And I'm not, you know, and, and I, I didn't grow up with much. You know, I grew up in Detroit. It was just me and mom. I watched my mom sacrifice. I watched her do everything for the sake of education, for giving me an opportunity, just make sacrifice upon sacrifice upon sacrifice. I watched my mom clip coupons every Saturday morning for like an hour, so that she could save 50 bucks at the grocery store so that I could have school clothes, right? Like that was her whole deal. Like everything was like just, you know, anything that she could put forward. And she never bought herself anything. She never took herself out. She just was always about me. And here I am during a pandemic, in my house, you know, yeah. big yard. You know, yeah. Like, all the things people are complaining about. Like, I, you know, I've got a huge opportunity here. I said, I want, actually want to write because I feel like it's something I always wanted to do. I said, I'll take a sabbatical one day. I'll do, I'll do this thing. And I'm sitting here. I'm like, this is the opportunity. It's not the most comfortable time. I mean, you're still like death yeah. looming around the corner. But it just felt like, you know, this is an opportunity. Like, there's it there might be a captive audience. And the theme, the reason I struggled with it, with getting started, was because so many people said... If you're going to write a book, you have to have a very clear point of view. You got to have a target audience. You got to have this, you got to have that. You got to have your marketing plan done before you write. And I just started writing. I said, I'll figure it out as I go. Yeah. yeah. So I wrote with the mindset of good judgment comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment. That was my thought going into the book, that I'm just going to share what I've learned and whoever benefits from it can benefit from it. And I printed off samples of the book and just sent it to people and said, who do you think this is for? And they said, I would love it if my kid read this. Mm Mm-hmm. And, some people, and a lot of people said, I read it and I love it, but my kid marked it up. Yeah. Or my kid said, you know, dad, mom, this sounds like you. But they heard it when you said it. Right. <laughs> when I said it, it was just me yeah, this was right. mom and dad. Well, right. When you said it, it's like it stuck. Yeah, right? And I said, if that's the gift, if that's the give back that I could give, talk to the younger me
0: yeah. and,
2: and his friends and say, like, here's something I've learned from having a, a few more reps. That'd be worth it all. So I was, I was just grateful to have that opportunity. But honestly, that was where, like, it just stoked this fire. I said, if I could just share this. And as it started to pick up with, with high school kids, you know, you have this, that, that's also a challenge, right? Like, you know, as I said, when you're young, you don't know what you don't know.
0: Right.
2: And I, I never wanted to force it down anybody's throat and say, yeah. you, you need to read this. But when I found that there was this pocket of kids that was much bigger than I would have thought, by the way, mm-hmm. that enjoy reading that enjoy taking wisdom, that wish that their parents had more time to talk to them, that wish that we weren't in the Zoom world and that we could just sit and connect, that miss the old days of just sitting down with Grandpa. And, you know, yeah. I said, man, that, that's where it really hit. So mm-hmm. I've been super proud of this. It was super accidental. It was super opportunistic. But it's it's been one of the most amazing things I could be a part of, I think.
0: Oh, God, I can imagine so. I mean, uh, to be on this side, I mean, you have a lot more you're going to accomplish for sure. Uh, appreciate but To that. sort of take this moment in time where you haven't forgotten where you were, where you can still remember the stories of of your childhood and the people that were involved and extract those words of wisdom from it. You know, you never know when something is going to be said to you or when you're going to have an experience that you'll remember forever. It comes when you don't expect it. That's right. It comes maybe from people you don't expect it to come from. But, I mean, we can all just go back and say, I remember that moment. It was nothing special, but I can't forget those words. Or I didn't know what it meant back then. I'm 20 years older. I know what it means now.
2: Yes. That. I, I mean,
0: words of wisdom are like that. They're never wrong. They just take time to appreciate and to seep in for you to be able to go forward with what you've heard. Doc, let me tell you this.
2: So I dedicated the book to my uncle who passed away last May. He was one of the first COVID casualties. Damn. It was terrible. It was terrible. You know, just before he passed, I got to spend some time with him and just thank him for being a big part of my life. Yeah. And one of the parts that he was a part of, I remember it's like just what you said when you hear this, you don't have the context at the time. I was going off to college and he was going to drive me up to Boston, drive me off for school. And he just sits down with me on the porch and he's just dumping stuff out. And, you know, and my uncle could talk generally, yeah. but he's just going on like, you know, and remember this, remember that. And like, you know, listen, man, the only thing people tell you about you, if you ever hear any rumors about you is because some, you told somebody else. So keep your mouth shut, do this, do that. Like all kinds of just, <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. Dropping just nuggets. Like, that. right? And I'm like, right. oh my gosh, like, where is this coming from? Yeah. Because he knew that going to college was a big deal. Yeah, You're going away, you're becoming an adult. Yeah. He remembered he went off to the military, the Air Force. He knew that this was a big moment. Mm-hmm. For me, it was just like we're taking a road trip to Boston. Like, what's <laughs> going on? Why is he dropping all this song? Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't until years later, I was like, oh my gosh, that was the you're gonna be a man
0: speech. Yeah. Oh, this yeah. was the rite of passage. Like this He wasn't gonna let that moment pass. And he, right. didn't. he knew, yeah, he and knew he wanted to impart this on you. Oh
2: my and it's like, wow. And yeah. so when he passed, I was telling his wife, I said, you know, I still get I mean he uh-huh. we were really close. Yeah. And she said, you know, he always he loved his double A. He just said, you know, he would, he would love to talk to you because he knew you'd listen.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, he knew you'd listen. You'd hear him out. And I said, man, I just, I had no idea. I'm so grateful
0: for it. Yeah.
2: But I had no, I'm 17, 18 years old. I, I had no concept.
0: No. no one knows. Nobody, yeah, right? like, <laughs> Nobody. Yeah, when you're that, you don't know what's significant and you're going to be carrying through. You are 17 and 18. Yeah. And you might like to think that maybe this is just something superficial and, you know, I'm just going to stuff it away in my pocket and keep on going. But you're right. I'm sure your uncle knew, as an older man, that his words probably would resonate later. Yep, he and, was. It was seasoning. Yep, <laughs> <Right>? he <laughs> was season. like, you know,
2: he's planting seeds. He was
0: planting <laughs> so, <laughs> seeds. Uh, so, you know, when I read the book, that's what I thought: is that he's taken every one of these moments and pulled out these bits of wisdom, and they don't stop. I mean, I'm 55. I hear things from people my age, younger than me, mm-hmm. older than me. You're always growing. That's right. You're always growing. Even today, I have uh, patients that showed me something Mm. that I'd like to keep with me. I mean, if you're open to it, it's always there. I I know what I am right now. There's still lots of room for improvement. So let me take a little bit from all these
1: people that I see around me. Yeah, you're never the, you should never be complete. You should always be looking for more. Oh, God. Yeah. You know, like the person who says, I'm fine. Like, (laughs) I I question those. Yeah. Move on to the next one. Yeah, you should always be reading, always listening. Yeah, you know those are the that's what makes you even better. Yeah, keep just striving for
2: more. That that lifelong student mindset, I think, it makes for happier people. It makes you you're more curious, you're more engaged. Yeah, it makes for richer relationships because you know that the next
0: person that comes through the door could teach me something. It's like that's so valuable. If if your Um, mind is open, I think that's right. Yeah, I'm certainly glad you do that. Where is your uh, is your daughter? Where does she go to school? She's not old. She's not.
2: She's four. So she starts collegiate this fall. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So in whatever pre-K. Yeah. Yeah. So paying a bunch of money for her to color and play with toys. (laughs) I hear you. But it's, you know, it's worth it.
0: (laughs) It's worth it. it. She's happy. Keep keep saying that. I'll keep reminding you about (laughs) it. Yeah. Yeah. There's other things. uh, um, My boys are there at St. Chris uh, right now. And my younger boy is going to be going to new community school next year. Nice. These are things, you know, that you would like for them to, it's really not a bad summer read for them. And I, 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 I'm going to put this, I don't know if within earshot of this podcast or any of the alumni or administrators at St. Chris, but I can't think of a better summer read, quick mm. read for these boys in this. I honestly can't. There's a lot of other wonderful books out there, but it's very approachable for them. And I don't think it's going to be hard for them to extract what they need to from it.
2: It's a great push. I think at this stage, more engagement with schools and just kind of reaching out. That's part of what the privilege of the situation that I was in was that we're not writing books to make money. We're not writing books to be on bestseller Mm -hmm. lists. We're Mm -hmm. doing this because we think it could be helpful. Yeah. And just saying like, tell me where it could be helpful. We'll put them there, Yeah, right? I think that's the opportunity because the reward here is not notching a sale or seeing somebody reading it. The reward sure. here is, is having some kids say, man, that story really hit me,
0: right? Oh, like, it re- or reminded me of this, you know, right. and that's the, really the reward here. It's a thing that they take now. And even if it gets applied 10 years, 20 years from now, hundred percent, it's, it's done. I mean, that's what you'd like to do. I Absolutely. Mean, when you get to a point you can do something like that, that's what you'd like to do. I know that you uh, are sort of a proponent of, I don't want to say broadly taking risks, but that taking risks is a part of your process yeah. and what you think others should do. But you got to be careful when you take risk. R- risk is almost a science. And, and I thought about that from things I read from you, read about you. And I know you've learned that stuff from other people as well, I'm sure, along the way. We have listeners out there who are going to you know hear what we say. You got to be careful with risk. It is important but you can lose a lot. So there's a certain science to the risk taking. I've taken risks. Zach knows I've lost money on things. Mm -hmm. What's interesting about the things that are even the risks that lose money or other things that you lose along the way is there's still a lot of lessons there. Mm -hmm. So tell me what you mean by you need to take risks or that's Mm -hmm. an important part. And how do you do it without losing too much? That's a great question, because
2: I, I do have a lot of pieces out where, you know, and I've, I've had people come back after a talk or something like that, say, hey, my kid heard you at this thing, and now he's ready to drop by to school. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. you need to come fix it. And it's like, whoa, whoa, that's that's not what he's, I said. He's at the Philippines. You know? yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Facebook like and all this stuff. Somebody heard and... a piece of it. Yeah. But I, it was always mitigated risk. But, sure. But it's like the idea is, you know, you should have a downside that you're comfortable with losing. And if it's very narrow, yeah. then you won't get much. Right. Let's, let's qualify it. If you want an extraordinary outcome yeah, on your own terms, whatever that means, right? Some people are, are happy with whatever they are. But like, if you want an extraordinary outcome, you want to build a new thing, you want to do a new thing, you want more freedom, you want more flexibility, then you have to be willing to give something up.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Certainly in the short term, maybe in the long term. And I think that cost-benefit analysis in the beginning of like, what if it doesn't go well? is something that I got really good at. So I told you about not paying ourselves the first couple of years at Car Lots. It was like, I looked myself in the mirror and said, if I didn't make money for the next two years, that means I'd, I'd lost two years of my market time and in, in the prime of my career. Mm-hmm. Then in my mind, it's like, well, instead of a two-year program, you did a four-year program for your MBA. Right. Right. <laughs> your personal balance sheet, what you learned <laughs> would be worth it. Yeah, I wouldn't have done that for 10 years, yeah. I don't think. Right. Yeah. But I was comfortable with that. Yeah. That was a downside that I could tolerate. Right. Some people aren't willing to tolerate that. And they look back and say, man, I, you know, I wish I could do that. And it's like, well, you could, but that you got to be comfortable with some downside. Right. Yeah. Right. Think about the risk that Mike took, you know, and having kids in school and things like, that, you know, it's like that. There was a downside risk. Right. He didn't burn through everything he had. Right. And he would tell kids, like, the reason I'm able to do this is because I spent a career saving
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. so
2: that I could take a swing like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But
2: some people just want to both. So yeah. one of the lessons in, in the book is, you know, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, you know, you got to be willing to give something up. Like, if right. that yeah. means leaving the, the high-profile position or whatever, like, you got to be willing. So I think for me, it's just that. And, you know, whether that's a game of blackjack, whatever, like, you don't got to bet the house. Yeah. But if you want to win, you got to have something that's there. So I don't think we do enough of that. But not just the calculus of what am I willing to lose, the sincere process of going through in your mind, how will I feel if I did lose <laughs> it? <Right. laughs> People don't do that.
0: No, 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 yeah. they, they, you know? they don't. And you, yeah, I think you need to, that's called the science of the risk is what I'm sort of the phrase I'm using yep. here is to see it through yep. and understand. I mean, I do think there's always a balance or let's say there's always a, There's something to gain from every experience you have, whether you win or or lose. But you got to know what the financial risk is to you. And are you in a position where you can take that risk? And for a lot of people out there who are dealing with how things went with the pandemic and they realize that work for someone else may not have been the thing to do. I'm thinking about all the bartenders and people working in restaurants and and folks like that who realize that maybe it's a better thing for me to have my own business. Mm -hmm. I love the stories of people who are in their own business You know, you got to realize the risk that comes with that. It's a good risk to take if you like what you're doing, if that's what you see yourself doing, if you're comfortable with it when you're not making money. Those are all nice things, but that's all part of the inventory you need to take with that. So I do think that, you know, you need to take a risk if you want to gain something different. I love the experience that you get from it, but there's a certain study of the risk that you need to go through.
1: Well, I like the way you put it. Like, if you want something extraordinary, your risk should be extraordinary right? Like if you want something small right, or you want, your risk can be smaller. Right. Right. I like that idea that it's proportional. That's, mm-hmm. It's a proportional. That's it's, right. It's proportional yeah. to what, what you want. Yeah. Like if you want to start this multi-billion dollar company. Yeah. If you want to you disrupt need to a business. It, it yeah. needs to <laughs> yeah. be big. Like right. you can't just go, Oh, well, I'm going to not take salary for a month. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> Cause <laughs> yeah. I saved that much. So you, you, good, know, you know, like,
1: <laughs> you know, and, I mean, and yeah. the other thing is I wonder, does age have a, and a part in this equation like if you're younger but then I started thinking your boy Mike he had a lot to lose at his age you know a little bit older you're willing to give up more when you're younger and you have no family and yeah. you know but i guess if you want the big thing that's that's the risk so so i will say
0: something i don't i don't know mike in this much detail but i would say mike and many others he had a great fallback position because of his education i mean he could go back to Consulting anytime yeah. and still live a very good life. I don't know, Mike, but I'm just assuming I, that. Doc, but. I
2: couldn't tell you how many Harvard Business School graduates I know that call me up. I just feel trapped in this job, mm. but I can't walk away from it. It's like, you totally can. You can walk away from it easier than anybody else, but Easy they don't on. feel like they can. Yeah, yeah. Because they're stuck in that, you know, Bobcraft sat here mentality or whatever. Like, Or where, they may not want
0: to give you know, what they have, which is probably not even terrible already. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's yeah. a sacrifice. That's the sacrifice. That's the sacrifice. Right? So so I think some of it just comes down to when you feel
2: like you're, you're pigeonholed in, like you do have to have some risk tolerance to go out there. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think about, you know, y'all have made investments. You know, that last page when you click submit. So, you know, hey, listen, be, you could lose your entire investment. Like a lot of people will click Yes. But still hope for like, you know, what, I'm going to say yes, but, I'm, yeah. but I expect this to be. You, know, <laughs> nice. you got to be good with losing the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's yeah. the deal. Yeah. 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 And, and a lot of folks aren't.
0: Yeah. You know, in reality. Right. I guess it's a proportional risk and you, you have to know what you're about and what you want to try to get through. If, if you want something big, it does take more of a sacrifice. That's not all bad. I mean, no. that's not all bad. No. Uh, you could get big reward. You'll get big experience probably no matter what you do.
1: Well, even if you lose. It's Even not the if worst thing in the world. No. Anybody who's successful will say they've lost at some point in their that's life. Right. What's you know? the thing on uh, Jerry Maguire?
0: What's the thing that guy says? I've lost more times than I've won. You know, that guy that yeah. keeps coming in with yeah. those little snippets yeah. in the middle. That's real. That is that is real. Yeah. You, if you don't lose, you never learn. And that's mm-hmm.
2: what we tell the kids. who so You never lose. You either win or you learn. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. That's it. You never, it's, it's never a doubt. Like, you're going to gain something I from like it. I like that. Don't right? use the word lose. That's it. Yeah. You, just, you never do. Mm-hmm. If you believe that those experiences have value, and I think they do, mm-hmm. You know, let's not take the straight line view of car lots ended up well, therefore it was all, you know, it's like mm. there are many times we're like, this could be this, this could be it. Yeah. And we were good. We yeah. were like, you know what? We took yeah. the swing. <laughs> you yeah. know, Like we learned a lot, you know, yeah. we'll be yeah. more marketable. Like,
1: yeah, you got to be comfortable with that whole range. Right. Yeah. It's like your rate of return was what? 12 years, 10 years. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, some people are not willing to wait 10 years for a rate of return. That's right? real. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's, that's probably more real than the short. Investment. That's, you know, that's, like that's an excellent the, point. The Bitcoin guy. Like, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. Sometimes the rate of return is 10, 15, 20 yeah. years. Yeah. It's not overnight. Yeah. yeah. There's something to be said, I think, especially for the younger generation. It is a long game. You're 19, 21, 22, come out of college, like, you shouldn't be making $100,000. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. you got to put the time yeah. in. And, and, and that's, the, okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, I think there's sort of, uh, there's the individual benefit to taking risks and trying something new, disrupting a, a state industry that needs to be disrupted. Yeah. And one of the things that I think that I would take from this particular talk is thank goodness for the people that are willing to do that. We are beneficiaries as even consumers yeah, or people looking at the sort of new future. We're the beneficiaries of people who have chosen to disrupt this. You know, many people talk about Elon Musk and what he's done. I mean, there's a lot to be said about Elon Musk. We all know he's a super intelligent guy. We know that he's just prolific. But the guy may be doing the single most important thing, maybe to propel the future of our travel and even protect the environment, potentially. I don't know. But, you know, when generations look back at the proliferation of electric vehicles the story can't be told without elon musk right. if the story is that our environment is improved or you know uh, carbon emissions are, are reduced it's because of guys like him and others who will follow who have done this i mean thank god they were willing to take those risks yeah. look at bezos like i mean
1: yeah for all he is whatever yeah. <laughs> people, people can be mad about certain things he yeah, guy's like i'm gonna sell books online yeah
0: look at him like I agree yeah
1: those swings can pay and
2: I think you know And it, at any point along that journey right I mean if, if Elon Musk's story stopped at PayPal it would still be <laughs> yeah. an amazing story <laughs> yeah. like it would, be, would an, be, right. it'd be an awesome yeah. American story right.
1: yeah. I, I forget you know. he did PayPal totally. like That's I mean same same that was measure. like <laughs> <Yeah. they're> forgotten <laughs> right yeah or you know? never knew or forgotten you know so yeah. Yeah.
2: just like if it stopped at books it was it was a remarkable transformation right,
0: right? society benefits from these folks you know and there's more things to disrupt. There's always going to be more things out there to disrupt. So, well, what's next for you, Aaron?
2: You know, in the seat that I'm in right now, having gone through this experience, I, it just, you know, and then reflecting back on how I grew up and, and the folks that I knew that had as much talent, as much brain power, as much work ethic, but just less opportunity, it just made me more acutely aware of where those gaps are just naturally in the world. When I think about access to information, education, financial resources. I think about the, you know, the process that Mike went through. He was able to raise that money in two weeks.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't know that Carl Lutz would be here if it was up to me to raise that money,
0: mm-hmm.
2: to be honest. Yeah. You know? Not for, you know, Mike has a ton of, she was an investment banker. I mean, he knew his face, but like, but it's, I just don't think it would have been the same process. So I think about like how many ideas are on the shelf because kids got distracted with things or they couldn't, you know, or, or they couldn't. I, I got scholarships to go to one of the most, one of the toniest private high schools in Michigan that enabled a whole other trajectory for my life. Mm-hmm. And I think about if I were still in the public school that had 40 kids per teacher, right? Yeah. My daughter is doing the pre-K. She's in camp this week. There's three teachers for eight kids. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. <laughs> like <laughs> education you know? just is so key Massive. in ways that you just can't even understand Massive. when it happens
2: and she's four like when that four. compounds over time
1: yeah that's a yeah. huge
2: advantage you know and it's an advantage that i was able to buy yeah you know like yeah. my kids whatever talent she has it's innate like you know there's other bright kids yeah but like that's an advantage i was able to buy yeah so like i think about that a lot mm-hmm. uh almost obsessively but i don't just think about it in the standpoint of it's not just a hopeless pursuit. I think there's actually some very real commercial opportunities to bridge these gaps, because, just because of how we've seen the world evolve. Right. And you mentioned that earlier, like just some of the things that just popped up, like you know, Zoom and online this and direct mm-hmm. consumer, like things that just couldn't have existed before. I'm on a platform now called the Power MBA. I met these guys out of Spain. Not a plug, but you can check it out if you want.
0: Sure.
2: These guys said, you know, a two year MBA is like a hundred thousand dollars, and if you're not in a top five program. ROI can be steep. If you're not going to get promoted, if the company's not going to pay for it, like this is a lot of time. You're going to spend every night and weekend or take two years out of your life. So then take the lost wages and everything else. Like this is a big investment. So these guys offer for $1,000. They call it the Netflix for business. And they bring in all these founders. So I'm on the platform, the founder of Waze, YouTube, Airbnb, Mm -hmm. just talking about their business stories. And so instead of paying PhDs, we bring in practitioners and we've got 100,000 people on the platform, global community. Like the world needs more of that.
1: Yeah. Which right? is probably way more beneficial than well, it's totally accessible education. Totally. Than sitting through an economics class for like nine let's stop pretending that business is like doc's doing. Yeah. That stuff's nice to know. <laughs> it's but,
2: nice to know. Yeah.
0: But, but you, please don't use you our could, model. Yeah, but you know no, what I mean? Like yeah. this,
2: this ain't like, but we yeah. ain't teaching certain like you can yeah. read like, and plus like the stuff decays. Right. Like the human body's been the same for the last six million years. If you go teach a curriculum from nineteen eighties in business, yeah,
1: you're, you're well
2: you're way behind. Yeah. Some of this stuff is just legacy. Like you're paying for designer labels that are scarce. There were 900 seats at Harvard Business School when I went. 900, 900. Yeah,
1: that's wild.
2: You know what I mean? (laughs) Like these guys have 100,000 users in the last three years. Yeah. Like when you talk about democratization of access, you can't make Harvard that much bigger. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like you know, like that's it.
0: But this makes there's some availability now for this. It's not isolated from these people who seek to do it, and some of them are very good students. I'll never remember, I don't know, I don't remember this guy, but I was doing a project and utilizing some folks from the University of Richmond Business School, and one of the professors was telling me, believe me, this is no disrespect for any kids at the U of R Business School, but he said that some of the best people to have worked on this project are not the U of R Business School kids. There are these other scrappy kids out Mm -hmm. there that could never have afforded this or made their way. This is from the professor at U of R, and I know what he was talking about. I mean, I know what he was talking about. They just have that, they have that drive.
2: And here's the best part, Doc. I'm thinking that it's going to be, you know, that this access is going to create seats for those kids who were otherwise overlooked, and it has. It's done a bunch of that. Mm. But the kids that are reaching out to me, saying, hey, Aaron, you know, can you speak to this group, whatever. They're at Goldman Sachs. They're at McKinsey. They're they're at the main street. They're saying, like, I still find value in this because... I don't know that I want to take a couple of years off to go, you know, study some stuff right. and hang out with some, I could do, I could hang out on my own right. Right. and yeah. just meet people. Sometimes things are just better yeah. <laughs> because it's just something you couldn't do right. 10 years ago. Yeah. So what I'm learning is that there's momentum now, there's resources we're technologically enabled to start to bridge these gaps in ways that right. were only theoretical. Yeah. So cool. like, let's, let's spend some time on it.
1: Yeah. I mean like, the piece of paper where you graduated from really doesn't. I mean, yeah. nowadays, it shouldn't be. It's See, starting to move away. Quickly, where, do you, where did Elon Musk go to college? I know. Sir.
2: Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> doesn't matter.
0: Well, the the, the, one, the <laughs> one thing it does, and this still is a bridgeable gap, is connections. Sure. It's connections. Sure. So if we can find a way, we can educate people, and you or you can get education through uh, vehicles like this. But you still need to meet people think about dating
1: how
2: how did we date 30 years ago
1: yeah like you had to be me you didn't (laughs) you you go to a bar you go to a bar (laughs) yeah Hey. you know,
2: right? You know, and it's on the strength of your personality. I, I like you. <laughs> this needs to be on
1: YouTube
0: because I, I need people to see that this is how this is. This <laughs> is how a bar can work. That's it. This is how a bar can not work. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, you know, it's the strength of your personality. How how courageous are you? Yeah. You know, what, what what lines do you know? Right, Which yeah. bar is it? What night is it? Yeah, bro, it's an app now. Yeah, it's an app. When I, I remember ten years when I met my wife, you know, ten years ago, I thought
0: you were gonna say Tinder. God, no. No, no. What no, it Did so ten
2: years ago? No, no. What I, when I, was, I was, ten years ago, it was like online dating was like a novelty. Like maybe one out of ten couples were like that's how they met, and they wouldn't even tell you straight up. They'd yeah. be almost ashamed. Yeah. Like you yes. know, what well, we we met. We've it's like it's eight out of ten now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it's like that's it's like so you know yeah you need the network, but we didn't have LinkedIn ten mm-hmm. years ago. Right. These kids are calling me. They didn't go to Harvard with me. Right. They're called, yeah. but they. I still, so, I answer all the calls,
1: yeah. so they got the connection. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's slowly, it's
0: slowly. The field is evening. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, no, I and I think that's a good thing. I yeah. think that's going to provide
1: more innovation and yeah, more opportunities for multitude of people. And I think that's a good thing. I mean, we all know what university costs now, and it's like. It's insane. R- really,
0: There was some. Uh, <laughs> I mean, what do you think
1: about sending your kid? Like yeah. you know, you're gonna need half a million Trade dollars school. per kid, right? Like, you know? My
0: daughter's gonna be a welder,
2: <laughs> seriously, <laughs> and still make a forty million. Yeah, here. she's, she's <laughs> gonna weld. <laughs> yeah. fine.
0: She'll do fine. <laughs> <You know? laughs> this article came out. I don't know if it was. I don't know if it was Washington Post or just about two weeks ago. When are we? Two weeks ago, and they're talking about the cost of certain graduate schools that is just way out of proportion to what you could potentially earn. So they're talking about schools that put out a lot of students in the arts, film production, music, that kind of thing. And I believe Columbia was like one of the top schools in a category where you don't want to be the top school. (laughs) (laughs) That the education, the loans would be almost a total of Mm 300000 But if you weren't lucky enough to hit a big stride in your career, you could almost never pay it off so they were giving these profiles of people who graduated and they were like assistant film directors you know 40 grand a year or something how right. are you ever going to pay off three hundred thousand dollars?
1: yeah so don't. so
0: it just didn't make any sense yeah. and they were sort of chiding these schools for promising these bright futures and all of this return when it wasn't really there so it didn't make any sense to charge Someone $300,000, 200000 with almost no chance of being able to pay it back.
2: Doc, let me bring it even more closer to home. Yeah. Go get a cosmetology degree. Yeah. You might pay 10 or 12 grand. Yeah. And then go to work at Supercuts, net effective 11 bucks an hour. Right. Right. Like, so the whole yeah. education thing is broken. Yeah. It's where it, at least we could tackle some of the more egregious spaces. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you know, listen, in business, we could, we, I think there's an opportunity, right? Like, it's like, we can agree, like, I don't know, man. It's like, aside from the connections, like, is it really worth a hundred grand to keep going? business? like, I don't know. Like yeah. people can answer their own, their own decision and make their own decision. But like, for me, it's, that's gotten egregious. Yeah. But hell, how many doctors do I know? Oh, that yeah. are like, man, I've got six hundred thousand dollars student loan debt. Yeah, I got. I mean, out of medical school, because I mean, I like, partially by me. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I mean, because you meet a couple doctors are like, I don't even like this. Right. And I, <laughs> but I yeah. but I owe a million bucks, <laughs> so it's like I'm in. You know, me and yeah. my me and my wife. Yeah, know? yeah. It's like it's real. Like <laughs> yeah. I mean, this this has gotten ridiculous. You know, <laughs> like we need some disruption here. It is. Well, yeah. I, no, mean, that, like, I
1: think like you said earlier, you had some of your biggest mentors in life were just people you worked with, like. The apprentice, the apprentice program, should be thrust forthright into American education. Like, no question. Yeah, it's a it's a legit part of. Like, it. Yeah. please, yeah. put people into apprenticeships. Let them know if they want to do this. Yes. Let we all own homes and mm-hmm. pay plumbers, and mm-hmm. pay electricians, yeah. and yeah. pay. And they come over and like God, hundred dollars an hour, like. Yeah. I don't make a $100 an <laughs> hour. <laughs> like, I mean, don't be surprised at what they charge
0: anymore. Just whatever. Yeah. And estimate. the thing is,
1: those jobs aren't going away.
0: No, no. Guy who converted my
2: fireplace, we converted from, uh, from wood burning to gas. Mm-hmm. And this guy, he got there top of the morning. He was there till like nine at night. I said, dude, you are crushing it. He said, there's no other guys that can do this. He's the only one. So he's making all the dough, working all the time. And I'm like, this is crazy. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's, it's wide open. He's like, I wish people would come and help. Yeah, I mean, It'd yeah. be great. I, I don't yeah. need any more. I'm good. I got, you know. Yeah. It's yeah.
0: like. You almost, you almost you know, never hear that. Yeah. Everybody's busy. It's nuts. It's nuts. Everybody's busy. It's yeah. nuts. Yeah. Building houses, subcontractors, everybody. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I well, think. We're teaching our
2: kids, just, you know, forget that. Go do this other thing, you know. Just keep learning for the sake of it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which is not. Most, again, not. I think there's a balance between both of those. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and that's the hard part. It's like, I enjoyed. Some of my favorite classes in college were like classes that had nothing to do with what I, my major was. But I enjoyed just like listening to them and like learning. But not at the tune of... The, the, that's the, the point. Yeah. It, yeah education's it, valuable.
2: It has a value for right. sure. But when you look at the real cost that you pay, yeah. not the not even just the relative cost, the real cost yeah. of inflation adjusted yeah. versus somebody in the 60s who wanted to study classics. Yeah. You're paying a huge multiple. Right. So now it's like, yeah, education is valuable, but like, I'm getting hosed for it. That's not fair. <laughs> yeah, that's not you fair. Know? Yeah, <laughs> like,
0: yeah. you know? And what they do with that money. Right. Yeah. The, is that required for that university to for operations? No, no, no. no. They're they're building things yeah. and all. I mean, yeah. they're making a lot of decisions on what to do with that money that have nothing to do with tuition it's and not, paying
1: the professor and all that kind of stuff. That's just saying Well, it. the professor that makes 150000 dollars on sabbatical for five years. Well, that, that, that's something. But that, they need the no, to drop in the bucket to
0: the building I know. Or the gym they want to build or something yeah, like that's that. That's right. Yeah, so, yeah, no, so, I mean so things that you won't benefit from as a student yeah, get true. built all the time and it, it needs to be disrupted. I mean yeah. everybody, everybody I think knows I this I think, think
1: we got a billion dollar idea right here somehow. i tell you.
0: <laughs> well I mean this is the way that it, to 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 level the playing field it's these things that are available online that you don't have to. It's what you just said and in terms of taking the whole idea of, of training you, uh giving you a skill, let's stop thinking this about 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 a plan B sort of aspect. This is not. No. I mean, you teach people that skill, they can open up a business doing that and do extremely well. So, well, so, so this let's is put a, it in the
1: mainstream. This is a cool story. A friend of mine's son plays lacrosse, and one of the older mentors of lacrosse is like really good lacrosse cross players, getting like a lot of offers and stuff like that. And he's like telling his parents, I don't I don't want to go to college. I want to go get an apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. Like he's this mid level cross player. Like he yeah. might go to division three or two, or, mm-hmm. but he's like, no, I want to, I want to go do an apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. Someone has gotten in his ear, like, you can make money doing this, which yeah. is probably more what we need. Sure. Totally. Than, than, and, it's, and it's realistic. I and it's mean, realistic. If he, if he's
0: driven. That's realistic. And that's
1: kind of cool. Like I never, I have never heard anybody say, like, listen, I'm not going to go to college. I want to get an apprenticeship. I want to be an electrician. I'm like, okay. It's like the only
2: thing that stops that is like the conditioning that we've given ourselves. I've got a cousin, you know, we have a family reunion every, every two years and we all get together. And this kid, you know, one year we're getting together and, and he's washing dishes and he's expecting a kid and he's super stressed, you know, and, and I'm buying the drinks and we're hanging out. Yeah. He's, mm-hmm. he's, he's Two years later, we get to the next one. He's now an ARC, MIG, and TIG welder. Okay. He's making 80 grand. Oh, yeah. He bought yeah. a house. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, like, I get goosebumps thinking about that kid. Like, he turned yeah. his whole life around when you broke, broke free of the whole, this is what you're supposed to do, this yeah. is it. Yeah. you know, And it's like, that could be a first option for a lot of people. Yeah. So there's a lot of suffering for people that are just trying to find their way through that just doesn't have to be. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. completely
0: agree. I think we just have to change. I think for a lot of us, even me and my kids, you and your kids, yeah. we may have to stop saying, you, know, you got to shoot for a four-year college. That pressure and that expense yeah. may not be the right thing to do. And I think a yeah. lot of people have to change their minds. And a lot of us who went to four-year colleges have to change our minds and say that we need to figure out what they need to do and what's the best way to do it. If they want a four-year school for all the reasons it takes, then we fight to get them in there. Give me a power But if they point, decide right. that's not what they're going Seriously. To
2: do. <laughs> I already told my wife, like, here's the, here's the deal. When Dia turns 18, it's going to yeah. be like, listen, honey, here's half a million bucks we can either put in a business. Yeah. You Know and I'm, I know a thing or two about it, <laughs> you
0: know,
2: just a little, I'm just saying, you know, so like, you know, just, just it's like you can weigh the risk or whatever, you can go to school, it's yeah. up to you, but like, I mean, I'm just saying, yeah, you
0: know, like, you know. <laughs> you can hang on the dining hall <laughs> because
2: you know, that's what it'll be. It's like, yeah. you do you, you want to spend half a million dollars to hang out and find yourself before you listen? You know, yeah. Not just, I love college, it's no? great, yeah, but Ahead like, I at least wanted to be able to to, to yeah. answer that question. Oh, well, sure. And
1: I always tell people, it's like. You know, when I went to college, I did play basketball, and so I, like, enjoyed that. But when you say a good, I mean, it used to be okay because you could stomach the cost. Right. Like, okay, I can have some fun for four years. Yeah. Come out, $60,000 in debt, and then be okay. Now it's like, I can't. Now you come out, it's like $200,000 in debt. Totally. For Having fun for four years, it's like, uh, right. oh, is that worth it anymore? Yeah, no, yeah, oh, there's certainly a limit. I don't know what the number is, I don't know is, what it is either. But you either, know, close you to know that's not
2: <laughs> when yeah. I look at the numbers, will they'll be for when our kids yeah. are in school? I'm yeah. like, that's that's I think that's it.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no, these, they, uh, these universities, I I hope they come to terms, at least there's recognition of it right now. There's no hiding behind it. That whole yeah. college, uh. Admissions scam that went on. I mean, yeah. I think it opened a lot of eyes to the yeah. process too. You so I, you
1: Ivy League guys, you guess I
0: mean, <laughs> I'm not proud. I'm not proud. Yeah. It's ugly. Uh, yeah. It's ugly. Uh, I think they learned a hard lesson. Yeah. The shine is off. I agree. I have. Uh, I've had a tremendous time, Zach. What do you think? I mean, uh, this Aaron's was great. We talked I, about this. Well, for as soon a long as you said time. like the car, I was like, Aaron's a perfect guy for
1: this. Like. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he's just it, great. He's charismatic. He really it. was. He's and, smart. And, he's, and, and, you know, and again
0: the, all the, that stuff. The break in it is that you actually drinks you know, bourbon. I, mean, to do <laughs> it. I know your schedule's <laughs> tight. Drinks bourbon, CrossFit. No, some things start to make some sense. No, After no, you start, straight. it becomes more the pull, not the push. I appreciate you spending the time and telling us the story of Carl Otz and the story about you. You know people are going to be within earshot of this, and this is going to make a difference to Absolutely. a lot of people. And I certainly would encourage our listeners out there who are adults and who have kids. You know, this is one of those podcasts that you might want your kid to have, maybe listen to, maybe you drive them to the beach in the summer and you hold them hostage, (laughs) (laughs) make them listen to the podcast. But uh, there's a great story here. And it's not just a one-time story. Mm -hmm. It's probably the story that needs to resonate and continue forward. I think we talked about a lot of things that we think ought to be the case in the near and the midterm. So Aaron, thank you for hanging along with us for that ride. Don't be a stranger. We'll always have yeah. bourbon here. <laughs> this yeah. was
2: great. Gentlemen, yeah. thank you so much. This yeah. was so much fun. And again, had you led with the bourbon.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I promise. Okay. It was going to be. Well, we, will learn we, that could, we could have done it that night. Yeah. yeah. Whatever, whatever first time we said it.
0: Yeah. Well, lesson, lesson learned. Yeah. Well, lesson yeah. learned. Just Maybe
1: so when much. we start to approach people that's there's alcohol. I would, I would recommend <laughs> that. And it
0: ain't bad. Yeah. yeah. It ain't bad. Yeah. All right.
1: Well, thank you, Aaron. Everybody,
0: Aaron, thank you so much. Um, I think that's going to be a wrap for us here. We've had a fantastic time. This is really what we wanted to to talk about and even more. So for you listeners out there, listen, uh, Aaron Montgomery, fantastic guy. Look him up, see what he's about. It's very, very interesting. It's an interesting story and let it be inspirational to you. Uh, I think that's enough for us. We've enjoyed it. What's the drink tonight? I'm feeling good. Templeton. Templeton rye. I don't think we overdid it. I think we sipped, we spent enough time. That was a nice little serum level we got here. So I hope you guys out there agree with us. Enjoy it. Enjoy the talk. Do it with a drink if you have a safe circumstance. Have a good evening. We certainly hope you enjoyed this episode of Twisted Wisdom. If you like what you heard and want to hear more, please subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcast platform. If you really want to do us a favor, share this with your friends as well. We'd love your comments and suggestions, some of which we might use for future content. Email us at twistedwisdompodcast at gmail.com. Until the next time, cheers. cheers.